Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through new beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at mystory@newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Some of you here tonight, you, your life might be split up in, well, before the divorce and after the divorce or before the bankruptcy or after the bankruptcy. We have this tendency of dividing our lives up along these timelines. The fact of the matter is we don't do it to honor the crisis. They're just their milestones. And hopefully tonight, you're going you're gonna to be encouraged that whichever season you find yourself in, you can trust God. You can depend on him. You can rely on him. Nothing that you've gone through, you're going to hear me mention this a lot tonight, nothing that you've gone through, nothing that you're going through, nothing that you're going to face in the future is ever going to come as a surprise to God Almighty. He knows. Amen? Amen. Now, I want to take you to a portion of Scripture. And I want to make some points here tonight. But I'm going to, let me just read the Scripture to you, and then I'll begin to explain it, okay? So we're going to go to Matthew chapter 14. I'm going to start in verse 14. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. Now, that's a whole teaching in itself. The compassion of Christ upon individuals was the thing that triggered the power of God for people to be healed. Amen? When it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, this is a deserted place, and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. They were out somewhere, isolated in, the, in place, uh, uh, far from any civilization, far from any place, no 7-Elevens, no Wawa's, no McDonald's. And so the disciples, seeking to meet the practical, natural needs, say to Jesus, like he's not aware of the fact that they're out in the middle of nowhere, send them away so they can go get themselves some food. You're very familiar with the story, I'm sure. But Jesus said to them, verse 16, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Okay, this is different. They must have been thinking. And they said to him, we have only five loaves and two fish. He said, bring them here to me. Then he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass. And he took the five loaves and the two fish Looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke and gave them the loaves of the disciples, and the disciples gave to the multitudes. We see the order here that Jesus establishes, because he never does anything in confusion, all right? So they all ate and were filled, and they took up 12 baskets full of fragments that remained. Now, those who had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. That's why most of the time we say there's 15,000, minimum 15,000 people were fed by these few loaves and these few fish. Amen? Amen? So, I want you to follow me here. Jesus is called upon here to meet an immediate need. Did you just say that? Immediate? immediate? This is an immediate need, right? Minimum 15,000 people have come out. They've come out from their villages, far away, to come and hear him. They're out in a place here. It's already been made. The point's already been made. There's no, even if they have money, which they probably did, there's no food to buy. So it's a temporary emergency. And what does Jesus do? He says to them, you feed them. Then he blesses the fish, blesses the loaves. The people are fed. And we're told that this miracle was such an overflowing, abundant miracle that they picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. 
It's a lot of Ziploc bags. But what happened? The crisis is over. Yes? Crisis is done. They're fed. They're filled. Their bellies are full. On another occasion, Peter worked all night, caught nothing. Jesus tells him, throw the nets one more time on the other side. What happened? The nets were so filled, the Bible tells us that they began to break. And what happened? Crisis is over. Mary comes to Jesus. They're at a wedding. Jesus, they're out of wine. Jesus turns the water into first-class champagne. What's the result? Crisis is over. You go to the doctor for regular checkup, and you get the phone call, that phone call that we dread. The doctor wants to see you immediately. So what's your mind start doing? Your mind goes into that crisis mode. Oh, my God. What happened? What did he see? What, what did she see? What's the report? What's going on? That night, you don't sleep. You start planning your funeral. <laughs> we see something we're very concerned about. You need further testing. So now for the, for the next few weeks, you can't think straight. Fear tries to grip you. You go to the doctor. You go for the test. And then the doctor says, nothing to worry about. Everything's normal. And you want to just grab him. And what happens? Crisis is over. See, we're used to these type of things. Many, most of us are used to this time of one-time miracles. Crisis is taken care of. The one-time need that gets met by God, and all of a sudden now the crisis is over. So if the crisis is over, and a little sideline here, the Bible goes back on the shelf. All of a sudden, you're not in church Wednesday night, Saturday night, Sunday. The praise and worship music goes away. Why? Because the crisis is over. Now, we're not, thank God we're not all that way, right? And we don't do that all the time. But the point I want to make to you tonight is this. Life is not made up of one-time emergencies only. Sometimes our lives are occupied by ongoing crisis, ongoing struggle, ongoing challenge that doesn't go away like this. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. I want to take you to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 16. You know, the book of Exodus starts out with Moses as a child, as an infant. Uh, he's saved from, from, from being drowned uh, he's raised up in Pharaoh's palace. He becomes a great ruler in Egypt, a man of influence. And then all of a sudden, something happens. He tries to take matters into his own hands. You guys know the story. He sees an Egyptian harassing one of his brethren. He realizes who he is now. And he kills him and buries him in the sand, only to, only to find out that his crime has actually been discovered. And so he has to flee Egypt. And he's away from Egypt for 40 years and in the desert, in the wilderness, and he's learning how to become a shepherd now. And God used that, obviously, in the future. And he comes back to Egypt by the command of God. You know the story, Charlton Heston, 
Ten Commandments. And then who was the other one that played recently? Was it Christian Bale? Was it Christian Bale? Yeah, he did a pretty good job. So Moses is used by God to rescue God's people from Egypt. They cross the Red Sea. They're on their way to the promised land. But they've got a problem. Let's read this here. Exodus 16, 11. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, I have heard the complaints of the children of Israel. Speak to them saying, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Verse 13, so it was that quail, little birds, came up at evening and covered the camp, and in the morning the dew lay all around the camp, and when the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness, on the ground, was a small round substance as fine as frost on the ground. So when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? Well, if we were reading this in Hebrew, the neat thing about this is what is it is manna. They said to each other, manna. And somebody must have said, sounds good to me. Let's call it manna. For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, this is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Let every man gather it according to each one's needs. One omer for each person, and we'll talk about that later. According to the number of persons, let every man take for those who are in his tent. In other words, you're going to gather enough to feed your family. Then the children of Israel did so and gathered some more, some less. So when they measured it by omers, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. Every man had gathered according to each one's needs. And so the crisis was for that day. And Moses said, let no one leave any of it till morning. Notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses. They didn't obey Moses. He said, don't, don't try to gather this up and keep it overnight. But some of them left part of it until the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. So they gathered it every morning. Say every morning. Every man according to his need, and when the sun became hot, it melted. In other words, there was a window of opportunity every morning to go out and get the substance you needed for your family's meals, for their substance. But it had to be gathered every morning. So every day, you're faced with two choices if you were here on earth back then. Every morning, you had to make the choice. Am I going to believe God that when I get up, walk out of my tent, it's going to be there? Or am I going to spend the entire night worrying that this substance, whatever it is, is, may not be there in the morning? Verse 21 says, so they gathered it every morning, every man according to his need. And when the sun became hot, it melted. In other words, there's, there's an opportunity that's it. And I can't help but make the comparison here that if you and I, as soon as we open our eyes in the morning, do not make the attempt to lift our hands up and to say, God, thank you for today. Thank you that your mercies are new every morning. Thank you for the grace that you have for me today. What ends up happening is 
You start getting busy. Life takes over. You look at the clock. Oh, my God, I don't have any time. If you would only, you have a window of opportunity every day to put him first. A window of opportunity every day to receive that grace. That I, I, You could call it manna. Why? Because you don't know what form that grace is going to have to take that day. You don't know what you're going to face that day. And so if you don't go out and get it in the morning when the sun comes up, and it starts to melt away your day, and you realize at 9.30, I didn't even acknowledge that God exists today. There's only one problem. The challenges don't stop coming because, oh, wait a second, let's back off. He didn't have a chance to pray this morning. Are you with me? Life keeps going. Do you notice this? I said this to my wife the other day. We were driving around town the day after we got back here, and I said to my wife, life went on. My mom is gone, but life went on. Life keeps going. The sun's going to keep coming up. The moon's going to keep coming out. I said, and the same thing's going to happen when we're gone. Life keeps going. I know. He said, well, you really threw that morbid thought in there, huh? <laughs> but what am I saying? Just like the Israelites, you and I have got to get up in the morning and not be worried, but be aware of the opportunity you have to get up, and however you approach God, if you're going to get on your knees on the side of your bed, if you're going to sit at a table with a cup of coffee, if you're going to listen to a, spe a specific worship song that maybe does something for you or brings you to a place of remembrance of what God's done, whatever it is, if, it's, if you're going to read a chapter, if you have a devotional that comes on your phone, just stay on the devotional, because as soon as you get on the phone, then the devil goes, you better check Facebook. You might have some messages there. But whatever, whatever your lifestyle, whatever it is, whatever that, whatever that habit, I don't want to use the word ritual, but I want to use the word routine because routines are safe. You and I need routine in our lives. When we depart from our routines, it's like it takes you so, we've just been away for all this time. It's like you get back and I'm like, I don't know who I am right now. Give me some time to collect myself again. Because I, I was out of my routine. Now, I don't mean rut, because it could become a rut. But routines have life to them. Routines let you remember what's going on and what God's done for you, okay? Are you getting anything here? Manna had to be gathered every day. Not one big load, and the crisis was over. Doesn't work that way. I don't know if you realize it yet. It doesn't work that way. You don't get up one day and go, God, listen, I got some time this morning, so can you just drop all the mercy you got for me for the rest of my life on me today? Can you just dump, get, just send a tractor, what do you call it, like a, a tractor trailer load of grace, and I could just pack it, I got, I got room, I just park it right in the driveway. No, it, it, turn to somebody and say, it don't work that way. Sometimes we have to trust God for instantaneous miracles, but most times it's a daily trusting, a daily taking steps in faith that we need to do every single day. Every day the Israelites had to start their day out in faith, trusting God that the manna would be there. Yesterday's was gone. Today we need more. And all throughout history, all throughout our history of mankind on the earth, there's been times of famine and there's been times of abundance. 
God will always rescue his people through those seasons, whether it's a famine or whether it's a feast. And sometimes you need to be delivered from the feast times also. Because the feast time, listen, listen. Most of the people in the Bible got in trouble not when times were bad. They got in trouble when times were good. Noah comes out of the ark. And what does he do? He starts celebrating. And nobody told him, hey, listen, that grape juice that used to be grape juice before the flood uh, doesn't say grape juice anymore. And what's he do? He gets drunk. You notice he didn't get drunk when, they, when God told him the flood was coming. He didn't say, oh, my God, how are we going to do this? He gets drunk. King David gets in trouble. When? When he's king. Why? He had the house with the tallest amount of stories in the city. He could see everything all over the place. And that was his greatest downfall because he didn't know that you can buy shades to pull down in front of your window <laughs> when your next-door neighbor's in the hot tub. So, let's be honest with you. It's very natural for us to want to hold on to your supply. Listen to me. I know this firsthand. It's very natural for us to want to hold on to your manna, to want to hold on to that grace. Want to hold, let me tell you something. Right now, I'm under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you can understand what that means. Anybody that's ever had to do these kind of things, it's not you. There's something that comes on you. There's a mantle. There's a, a, a presence. It's a... Do you think I wish I could walk in this every day of the week? Do, better yet, do, do you think my wife wishes I could walk in this every day of the week? So if there's anybody who wants to hold on to it, I don't want to hold on to it. So you're gonna, if you want to fight with me or say something stupid to me, do it right after the service. Because I have the anointing of God on me, and I won't rip out your throat. But I can't guarantee that. So yeah, we all want to hold on to it, right? But what happens? It doesn't happen that way. Why? Because our life is to be spent in daily, listen to me, because if you don't hear this right, you're going to go out here going, that doesn't sound like a good God. Look, God's not a control freak. And God's not insecure like some people make him out to be. He really doesn't need us. We don't know how long the universe existed and everything existed before he decided for us to come on the scene. It seemed like he did okay before we got here. But he loves us. And because he loves us, he wants us to develop a lifestyle of continuously coming to him, acknowledging him. For years now, I find myself praying constantly according to Proverbs chapter 3. Father, I'm acknowledging you because your word says that when I acknowledge you in everything that I do, you do what? You direct my path. And guess what? I don't like being lost. We just had a horrible trip back from Florida, okay, which is the last time we are driving. That's it. I told my wife, we either get on a plane or we don't go anywhere. But because of the hurricane, because, you, know, so you guys up here realize it was a hurricane, right? They hit the East Coast, okay? We couldn't go and we couldn't take the normal routes just straight up the coast and come home. We had to go 300 miles out of the way and God forsaken highways 
in western and northern Georgia and western South Carolina and west. We went into one town. I said, to, did we go into a time warp? Is it 1929? What, what happened? Everything's boarded up. I, and I don't like that. I don't, know, I don't know anybody who likes being lost, not knowing your way. I don't like that. I want to, we're praying, God, you know, we're acknowledging we're in need here. Send some angels before us with flares, anything. Because God forbid you make one wrong turn, you're spending the night with Bubba. So every day, watch this now. Every day you got to acknowledge your dependence on him. For what reason? So he can direct your path. Daily, daily. Because, you know, some of us, I don't know, you know, I've always known that I needed God. Nobody had to convince me that I was broken. But I know some people, they get like, man, you know, it's good for you. Well, let me tell you something. Five years from now, let me know how that's working out for you. You know, I don't need that stuff, you know, that, that religion stuff. That's, that's for you. Really? Okay. Those are the ones that cry like a baby when the doctor tells them the wrong thing. We need to acknowledge our dependence upon him. Every morning the Israelites got up and walked out of their tent, brushed their teeth if they did, walk out of that tent and went with that little bucket or basket or pail or whatever they had, what were they doing? They were taking steps of faith every day, acknowledging every day, every day. God was determined to teach them to trust him every day, not just when there's a crisis. Now, Jesus echoes this concept. He, 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 he grabs a hold of this concept and brings it into the New Testament, Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Look at verse 3. Give us what? Say it with me. Day by day our daily bread. So this isn't an Old Testament concept. Jesus instilled this in his disciples early on, day by day. He didn't say, hey, pray that he sends you a whole big Wonder Bread truck full of bread so you have all the bread you need for months and years to come. He taught them to pray every day for that bread, for that provision, whatever it is, whether it is something material Or how about the provision of, Father, I need strength just to get out of bed this morning. Father, I need need your strength to break out of this depression that I've been dealing with for 10 years. How about that? Daily bread. Father, I need strength. I feel like everything's collapsing around me, and it's been like this for so long. Every day. Every day. Jesus did not teach them to ask for a lifetime worth of provision. Give me what I need for today. Watch this. Listen closely. I'll be back again tomorrow to worship and to praise you for your faithfulness, and for I am confident that you have all of my tomorrows already provided for. Amen? Amen. 
Never forget that with God by our side, anything is possible. Anything is possible. He wants us to trust and win daily time. Let me throw this at you. Matthew chapter 6. Maybe this one will stir something up in you. Verse 25. Jesus teaching what we call the Sermon on the Mount. This is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food? Yeah. And your body more than clothing? Yeah. Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. For your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Yes. Can all your worries at a single moment to your life? No, they can't. And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's troubles is enough for today. Psalm 86, 19, blessed be the Lord, love this one, who, say it with me, who daily loads us with what? Benefits, the God of our salvation. Psalm 37, verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. That's a tough one. Trust in the Lord and do what? Good. In other words, make it a lifestyle. Dwell in the land and feed on on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Trust it, to lean on, to rely on, and to be confident. Our race is won on an everyday basis. Winning, that's the title of this message, winning one day at a time. Spending each day trusting God, developing into that lifestyle. So, so let me ask you this question. We only got a couple minutes here left. What is the win? What is the win? Was the win for the Israelites that they got up in the morning and got to collect the stuff that they cooked and you know, what's for breakfast and what is it? And what's for lunch and what is it? And what's for dinner, what is it? Manna. What's the win? Was the win that they had food to eat? No, the win was not that they had food to eat. The win was this, that they developed a lifestyle of trusting God for the little things, for the ongoing needs on an everyday basis, not spending life Praising God one day, complaining about him the next. Of course, nobody here ever does anything like that. When we have come to the place where we trust our loving Father with all that we are and all that we need, it becomes a life of no worries. That's the win. The greatest win is that you develop a relationship with Almighty God that you would have never known without your daily gathering of manna. There are some of us, the worst thing that can happen to our lives is never to have challenges, never to be under attack, never to have needs, because we forget about him. Now, mind you, he's not a cruel tyrant. He doesn't purposely send things into your life to go, okay, you're going to need me now. He doesn't do that, but he knows what's coming. 
Now, I want you to get this concept here because this is what I want to end with. This is what I want your takeaway to be. Do not be like the Israelites who were content to be fed that mushy manna. What is it? The real winner was Moses. I want you to look at this verse of Scripture. Psalm 103, verse 7. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. I looked up a bunch of the modern translations and I went, they totally missed it. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. Say, Pastor, what's the point you're trying to make? Here's what I'm trying to make. The Israelites were content with, oh, he gave us bread. Good, thank you. Moses got to know him above and beyond the need. Moses studied his ways. The children of Israel only studied his hands. And that is the difference between a Christian who is crisis motivated and a Christian who is relationship motivated. I would rather do without the things of life, but I could say at the end, I know him. Like Paul said, I know him and the power of his resurrection. I know him. Yeah, I've been through some trials. I've been through some hard times. Yeah, I've gone without. Yeah, I've I've been beaten. I've been shipwrecked. I know what it's like to be hungry. But Paul said, I know him. All the Israelites could say was, he fed me. Moses could say, even though he messed up at the end of his life, but he could say this, I know his ways. So what's the win, church? Is the win that you get the car? The win that you get the house? Is the win that you got millions in the bank? Or is the win that you could say, I've had it tough and I've had challenges, but he's brought me through every time and I know him and I could have confidence in him. We win one day at a time. Amen? Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through new beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at mystory at newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today.